0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. Very excited about today's guest, who is Julia Cameron, the author, artist and teacher, and probably most well known for her international bestseller, The Artist's Way. She is a poet, playwright, fiction writer, essayist. She has extensive credits in film, television, theatre. She is an award-winning journalist and basically a multi-hyphenate creative and someone who is incredibly inspiring for so many different reasons. In this episode, we talk about The Artist's Way. It's had a new revamped cover, which is very exciting as well, so I'm loving my new copy. The book first came out in the early 90s, and it's a 12-week course that guides you through the process of recovering your creative self. It aims to dispel the I'm-not-talented-enough thoughts and blocks that so many of us hold and it helps us unleash our inner artist basically and it's a step-by-step approach enabling you to transform your life and overcome all of these inner blocks that you may suffer from from limiting beliefs to fear jealousy and guilt and replace them with the self-confidence to be productive and be creative From Alicia Keys to Russell Brand to Elizabeth Gilbert, who says that Eat, Pray, Love would not exist without the artist's way. Thousands and thousands of people around the world have discovered their inner artist through this book. So it was such a joy to speak to Julia remotely. It was about 8.30pm, I think, that we recorded this UK time. And it was one of those hot days in the heatwave. And I just sat chatting to Julia into the evening. And it was really special and definitely a reason why I make this podcast so I hope you enjoy this episode and if you did you know what to do please leave a rating or a review on iTunes it really helps other people listen to the episodes and so without further ado here is the conversation with Julia So I've spent the day in the park today with the new copy of The Artist's Way. It's got a new cover. It's looking very fancy and it's like had a makeover. And uh, yeah. I, was ha- I was reading it again today and just remembering how I felt about two years ago when I, f- when I reread it, feeling like I couldn't do it. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't write anymore. And thanks to you, I managed to finish my first novel. So I just wanted to say thank you, first of all.
1: You're very welcome. I think of the book as a support kit for artists. So it sounds like it supported you through your process.
0: It really did. It's such a comfort. It's such a, you must hear that a lot, that it kind of, it makes you feel safe again and it reminds you why you're doing it in the first place.
1: Well, I hope so. Safety is an important factor in creativity.
0: Yes. And we're going to get into all of the reasons why the book um, has resonated with so many people. But first of all, I just wanted to ask you, how are you and how have you been doing over the last few months? Because I know the world is in a bit of a strange place. How are you keeping sane right now?
1: Well, I live on top of a mountain in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Uh, and my house is sort of isolated and I share it with a small white dog. Uh, and she gives me a lot of um, affection uh, and security. Uh, and we are locked down here. So we're told to stay home except on necessary errands. And then they defined a necessary errand as walking your dog. So every day I take her out and walk her along the dirt roads in my neighborhood. Uh, and then I come back, uh, and I do two things during the day. I work out with a trainer, uh, and I take a computer lesson from Nick, my helper. Both things give me structure, uh, and I, I write my morning pages every morning, uh, and that gives me structure, uh, and it keeps me from feeling too at sea. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that the, the morning, um, you, I, I'm sure you would have introduced a lot of people to really respecting that morning ritual, because with the morning pages, that might have been the first time that a lot of people actually gave themselves the morning again, because it's normally such a rushed, busy time of the day for a lot of people. Yes. It's amazing that you do that.
1: And I say, stop, pause, sit down in a chair, take a pen, move your hand across the page, Uh, And you will feel better.
0: Yes. Well, I just wanted to say as well, um, obviously, congratulations on the on the new cover and everything, because this book has been around for a long time now, but it feels like people are still discovering it. And it feels almost like a new book, even though it's been out for a few decades. But did the book spread initially from like a word of mouth? I just wondered how the book in the 90s first took off, because I I I I mean I'm sat here now obviously knowing that it sold 5 million copies but when did you first realize that it was it was you were onto something you'd actually started a bit of a trend
1: aha uh-huh. so that's a couple of questions how did it start up <laughs> uh they printed only 7000 books uh, oh. and people bought them and sold out uh and then they had to reorder uh and they thought they were printing a little teeny, quote, California book that would be appealing to to new age Californians and no one else. And what happened was that New Yorkers, who are aggressive, got a hold of the book (laughs) and they began ordering it. uh, And so they began printing larger numbers. But what I heard, uh, and I'm not sure this is true, Uh, was that if you bought The Artist's Way, you gave it to seven other people. So uh, it spread by word of mouth. Uh, It was, I hate to use the word contagious right now, uh, Mm. but the book was contagious. Mm.
0: And it's it's interesting when, You know, for example, you listen to someone else on a podcast. For example, Elizabeth Gilbert, who I know is a massive fan of your book. She was on a show recently and she basically said that Eat, Pray, Love wouldn't exist without The Artist's Way. And then I bet it's like you're kind of getting a whole new boost of people going, I wonder what that is. (laughs) It is a word of mouth, bit of a legend.
1: It's word of mouth. uh, And uh, it's a whole new generation. Is what's going to come along with the new smart cover uh, and the modern design. uh, And it looks like a fresh book. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it's been in England for a long time, but it was never promoted, quote, properly in England. So now, Profiles Press uh, is in a cheering section uh, and they're saying, oh, do a little bit of press, talk to people. tell them about the book. so I um talked to Russell brand
0: yes, I, I need to listen to that
1: it was He was enchanting. Uh, he was lovely and smart and funny uh, and a big fan of the artist's way. I find myself suddenly a little bit taller in Britain.
0: mm. Yes, and you've got so much so much of a backstory as well with all of your work and i've I've listened to you on other podcasts where you go really into that and when you worked at the Rolling Stone magazine and it, you're just the most amazing person to interview, but I only have half an hour with you, so I'm going in on the artist's way for this one but um in the book it's interesting it is so modern and it but it also has quite religious. Terminology in it, for example, there are reference to God and the Creator and things like that. But what's interesting is that word can mean so many different things now, can't it? You can kind of replace that with whatever you want it to, like the universe or whatever. It it speaks to everyone,
1: and that's something that I said in the very beginning of the book. Please don't let semantics be a block for you. Say universe, Tao, Muse, Higher Power. God, uh, use whatever word works for you, and if no word works for you, just do the exercises, and you'll wake up anyway.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I've been thinking a lot about this energy that you bring, even through the book. And I've heard you reference, I think, on, a, on a, in another interview where you say that you don't necessarily sell your ideas that hard. Um, and I and I really like that when when people kind of put their work out there, and it's it speaks for itself and. I wondered if that was something that you just always knew you were, you, that it was just a part of your personality. You, you were never going to sit someone down like make them do morning pages. It was almost like the book will find you if you're ready to do the work.
1: Yes, I believe that. I call the book The Bridge. Uh, and I feel like people encounter the book at the point in their lives where they're ready to go from being a little person to a larger person. And the book is the bridge that enables them to expand. So um, I don't try and sell the book. Uh, The book sort of sells itself. I don't like bullies. And I initially wrote The Artist's Way because I felt that artists were being bullied. So I, in turn, don't want to bully anybody else.
0: It makes sense. And it also makes sense why it's what is a bit of a word of mouth, because I bet there's a lot of people who feel like they're reaching a bit of a rock bottom with their project. And then someone says, have you tried the artist way? And then it's going to get to you, I think, when you need it, which is why it's just such a helping hand. Thank you. <laughs> I also wanted to touch on something that you you talk about in the book, and I love it, which is around not needing to be almost like the tormented artist not needing to necessarily, I don't know, drink or heighten your senses or go off the rails or, you know, live that sort of like, I'm a miserable artist trying to, you know, channel my pain type thing. Because I think a lot of us buy into that, especially through culture and films and things like that. And you know, that famous quote, I think it's Hemingway that says, write drunk edits over. I feel like your book is basically like, no, you can be sober, and actually you can do some of your best work. Yeah, And that I think that's a message we we kind of need more of. <laughs> I wondered if you could talk about that because you obviously have such an interesting story with how you realized that you were a better artist once you got rid of all that stuff.
1: Well, in my twenties, I worked for The Washington Post, The Village Voice, Rolling Stone. I was very hip uh, and I drank a lot. Uh, and I, I drank to keep up with my peers at Rolling Stone like Hunter Thompson uh, and Joe Esterhaus. These were very big men who had big drinks. Uh, and I was five foot three trying to keep up with them. Uh, and what happened was that I realized that my creativity was being impeded by my drinking. Uh, I would try to drink uh, and get past my fear of my creativity. Uh, and then I would find that I overdrank and closed the window on my creativity. So I found myself saying if it's a choice between creativity and sobriety, I'm not sure I'm going to choose sobriety. And then I realized, oh my God, there is no choice. If you don't get sober, there will be no more creativity. So we have a culture uh, that tells us that artists are broke, promiscuous, drug addicted, miserable, lonely. Uh, And I wanted to write something that said, wait a minute, perk up. Artists can be happy. We can write Mm. out of joy. Uh, And I think that the morning pages, which are the basic tool of the artist's way, the three pages of morning writing, teach people uh, that they can go to the page in any mood whatsoever. uh, And they miniaturize their Uh, censor. We all have an inner critic or inner censor who is in charge of telling us we're boring and dull. Uh, So when you're writing morning pages and your censor says, oh, Emma, you're boring and dull, you say to your censor, thank you for sharing, and you keep right on writing. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this is a a wonderful thing. You're miniaturizing your censor. You're making it into a little cartoon voice instead of the voice of doom. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so... Uh, I think we have a new culture coming about uh, in part because of the artist's way that says, wait a minute, I can have a good time. I can be people pleasing uh, and uh, still be an artist. I don't need to be tormented.
0: Yeah, and and it's strange to almost hear the opposite for so long and for for it to be so normalized and then you realize, well, the point of being creative, I hope, is that you do you get to enjoy it along the way. Uh-huh. Otherwise, what's the point of it all, I suppose? But it, it is interesting what you say about how a lot of the artist's way really is a big permission slip to people and saying you can do it and make the contract to yourself when you talk about the artist's contract. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think the book is a lot about the permission that people feel that they can't give themselves to call themselves an artist even?
1: Well, I think a lot of us grow up with a great deal of shaming around our creativity. Uh, And we may say to our parents, I think I'd like to be a writer. And the parents don't say, wonderful, darling, go right ahead. They say, oh, sweetheart, don't you think you might need something to fall back on? And without intending to hurt us, our parents and our teachers instill in us a worried shame uh, about our creativity. Uh, And what the book does is say, let's pretend that you had supportive parents. Let's pretend you had a supportive teacher. Let's pretend that it's fine to be creative. Uh, And as you pretend That it's fine to be creative, and you do the 120 tools in the book, you find yourself optimistic. Uh, And I think uh, we start to dismantle uh, that expression of consider the odds. Mm -hmm. The odds are something we use to talk ourselves out of our creativity. And when we start talking ourselves out of our creativity, we are buying into that cultural norm of creativity as a tormented pastime.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting how many people reference their parents sometimes when they say, "Oh, I couldn't do that," or I couldn't leave my job or i couldn't I couldn't write that book. It's like this generational divide sometimes like hanging over you. But your, your own parents, they were very supportive, weren't they? From what I've read about your family, they kind of encouraged creativity, didn't they?
1: My parents never said to us, oh, sweetheart, don't you think you need something to fall back on? Instead, they said, try it. Uh, and so I come from a family of seven children, and we all make our livings off of our wits. It was... A wonderful thing to grow up with a family where creativity was normal. My mother would write poetry at her at her desk in the little den, uh, and we would do art projects on the dining room table. Uh, and it never occurred to me that I couldn't make a living as a writer, And so I have
0: yes and you've helped many others <laughs> do the same but it yeah i find it fascinating that right now as well we're in a time where technology is moving at such a pace and people say that you know our jobs might be taken over by um ai and robots and actually the creativity side of things is like the most human thing that can never be replaced and so actually it's so important even in that context of work but i also really like the part in the artist's way which helps you kind of deal with criticism and sort out what bits of criticism are actually really important and and you know you can't I guess you can't just like bat away all criticism when you're making art but would you be able to talk a little bit about that about letting the right sort of criticism in
1: well unfortunately we can't make our professional critics friendlier so we get criticism uh, and I I say to them to the reader. Now, write it out and take a realistic look uh, at what it's aiming at. So you you take the criticism and you say, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, I recently had a book reviewed uh, and it said, Julia Cameron's tools are simple and repetitive. And I think it was intended as an insult, but I looked at the criticism and I I said, Oh, that's wonderful. Simple and repetitive works. Mm. So I was able to take the negative and turn it to a positive. Uh, and this is a, a trick, uh, another little trick that's very useful, uh, is when you have a piece of criticism, write a, a piece of poetry at the critic. This little poem goes out to Bill Kent. He must feel awful the way that he spent his time critiquing Carl Jung instead of on the book I'd done. So the poetry doesn't have to be any good, but it has to give you a sense of power. And the minute your humor comes back, you begin to have a more benevolent relationship with criticism.
0: That's so interesting because I read out a review recently that when I read it I could have cried it was really mean and then I read it out to my boyfriend and we both started laughing because it was the act of me reading it it made it sound ridiculous or at least you know you can just kind of look at it from a different perspective and maybe that's a a good thing.
1: Well I recently had an article in the Sunday London Times uh, and the writer said I was Julia Cameron was a whiskey-swilling drunk hack. Uh, And I thought, oh, I don't think you can write 40 books when you're a whiskey-swilling hack. Uh, And she said, plagued by mental illness. Uh, And I thought, oh, that's a little bit mean. Uh, And Mm -hmm. again, I don't think you can do the body of work that I've done if you aren't a little bit stable so I feel like my toolkit makes artists stable
0: it's very very true because also I think you know as the artist that making the art is the prize and so actually anything beyond that is is a bonus if people seem to like it but do you read your reviews then I mean so people say don't read reviews but sometimes I think you can get so much from reading them what do you do?
1: I read them, uh, and I'm armed to be prepared to be defensive. So uh, when I read uh, uh, the Sunday Times piece, I thought she she said sort of over her dead body uh, that the toolkit worked uh, and that she was doing morning pages and it was making all of her writing flow more freely. Mm. Um, and uh, so I said to myself, well... It's positive about the book. It's negative about me. Uh, And uh, I told myself it was more important that it be positive about the book.
0: That's true. But do you also think that having worked in journalism, and I've been in those rooms as well, where your editor takes an article and it's almost, if it's too nice or it's just too... Sentimental or positive, they want to put a spin on it to make it just more interesting, so they'll just put a headline on it. And so that bit almost you know is just added so that they can sell more newspapers.
1: well i I think that's a possibility. I talked to the woman that wrote the article, and we seem to get along fine. Uh, and uh, then uh, when the article was published, Uh, They had a picture of my first husband, whom I was madly in love with, uh, and his mistress. Uh, And they printed it with a little caption that said, her painful past. Uh, And I thought, well, at least they knew it was painful.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting that they need to kind of put all these pictures in surrounding just the thing that's the most interesting, which is the book. But talking about the book as well, you talk a lot about finding the time, finding the confidence, but also finding the money. Well, not finding the money, but you just touch on money as a part of creativity. And from looking back at your previous work, it seems like you really invested in your work when you could. I think you said that you saved money from previous jobs and put it into a film you wanted to make. How important do you think it is to just like take that risk or just believe in yourself and sort of invest financially because I think you made some some really great decisions
1: well I was writing for Miami Vice and I saved my Miami Vice money and I made a film a romantic comedy Uh, not Miami Vice (laughs) a (laughs) romantic comedy called God's Will Uh, and what happened uh, was that I respected myself I thought oh it cost, at that time, it cost $78 for a roll of film. So I thought, I can buy quite a good little bit of film with my money from Miami Vice. Uh, and I bought the film, and I filmed the film. Uh, and it was in the 1970, 1988 London Film Festival. Uh, and the reviews then, I did read my review, said she's not no coward, but she is funny.
0: <laughs> it's funny that you'll always remember that. It's such a standout line. Yeah. And how did you take that review? I guess it's, it's kind of positive, but also I, I thought strange was, to compare you to someone else. I
1: thought it was positive. Uh, and, um, I liked being described as funny. You know, I think, uh, I'm always praying uh, for humor, Mm. for a light touch, for being able to look at things brightly. Uh, And I think I'm walking away from a dark past where I looked at things through a glass darkly. Mm. So now I have four decades of cheeriness. Mm. That's
0: really such a great reminder to look at the positives like you say if it's a review or if it's just a comment most of the time there is so much good hidden in what someone's saying but it's so it's such a human nature thing to look for the negative but it's kind of a choice I think that's what the artist way really taught me as well is it is a choice as well to do the work Mm -hmm. um because you believe that every single person on the planet is creative. And I definitely believe that as well. Um, It just seems like the only thing between the people who are creative, in quotes, are the people that find a way to sit down and do it.
1: I do believe that we are all creative. Uh, And I believe that some of us know it. We had, uh, my first husband was Martin Scorsese, uh, and he's now a famous filmmaker. Uh, When I met him, he wasn't so famous. He was a filmmaker, and his parents were bankrolling his films. Uh, And uh, so having that pivotal early support uh, is often what moves people towards center stage. Uh, And I think uh, we do exercises in the artist's way to uh, encounter what I call believing mirrors, Believing mirrors are people who believe in the positive about ourselves. Uh, And I think uh, that prior to The Artist's Way, we tended to collect skeptics, people who would reinforce our doubts. Uh, And now we're collecting people who would reinforce our confidence.
0: Yes. And are you quite particular with who you surround yourself with in terms of keeping that positivity in, in your daily life? because it's i guess when you, you if you have a friend who's really struggling obviously you're not going to not help them of course you would but if someone's very very negative do, how do you deal with that
1: I don't I I have learned to say I can't talk to you right now uh, and to cut conversations short if they turn toward the negative uh, but I have a, a circle of what I call believing mirrors Uh, And they are people who are positive. Uh, Chief among them, uh, your namesake, Emma Lively. Emma and I have worked together for 20 years. When I met her, she was a miserable viola player. Uh, She had been schooled in classical viola, and she wasn't happy. And she had a dream of being a composer. And she started working with the Artist Way Tools and now she's a composer, uh, and she's no longer miserable. Uh, And um, I have friendships uh, that are sort of within the circle of the artist's way, and then I have friendships with people who are what I would call natural optimists. Uh, My girlfriend, Laura, uh, is somebody who is, she was a gifted kindergarten teacher, so her creativity was poured into her little charges. Uh, and uh, Laura is somebody who is very positive. Uh, and it's because she has an active spiritual life. So when I talk to her, I'll say, Would you stick me in the prayer pot? And she'll say, <laughs> Oh, yes, it's a pleasure. <laughs> So when I do something like our podcast today, I call up my friends and say, I'm doing a podcast. I'm a little bit nervous. Would you pray for me? Uh, And so what you can have sitting before you today is an answered prayer. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, well, I was really nervous. I didn't expect you to be nervous. I was very nervous because you've just, helped me so much and now I was meeting you even though it was through Skype but thank you so much for your time Um, my only last question was as you do morning pages um, as part of your routine obviously uh, as the creator of it is there anything you're working on or do you just let things kind of flow obviously you're such a you're across so many disciplines with what you've done in your life with writing and songwriting and film do you still is there anything that you're kind of wanting to do or work on or is it more the morning pages is just your daily ritual for for yourself
1: the morning pages are my daily ritual for myself but they also will suggest things so i recently had them say you're ready to start a new project and i thought what could that be and then i heard start with songbirds and i thought songbirds but I said, I started out a line of a play that said, listen to that. Aren't they lovely? Uh, and I, during this pandemic, uh, when we have enforced solitude, uh, I wrote a play. Uh, and wow. it was encouraged by Morning Pages. Uh, and every day I would say, but I have no ideas. And the guidance would come back you don't need to know anything except the next scene. Mm. So I was sort of writing blind. So it turned out the play was tender uh, and sweet tempered. Uh, And I'm typically shy about my my plays, although I love them. Uh, And uh, this time I said, I'm going to just call it true love. And I did
0: oh my god well like I can't wait to maybe see it one day that's amazing and also such a lovely way to approach creativity like you always say you know there's no sort of like panic or manic kind of I need an idea I need an idea it just came to you in the most natural way
1: well I do guided writing where I say LJ for little Julie can I hear about my writing Uh, And I listen for what I hear. And I hear there is no need for anxiety. And I think, oh, what a lovely thought.
0: My whole body is just relaxed. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much. I think this is going to be such a helpful episode as well to anyone, um, you know, at home now. Maybe wanting to take up the artist's way. And yeah, it was just such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome.